All right. Welcome to another episode of Comic Book Squares. We just want to remind everybody about our big contest for 2023. We're going to help find a new writer in comic books. We're partnered with Dream Foundry on this. And uh, just remember, the deadline is the end of September to get your uh, stories in. So to kick the show off, my name's Shane. I'm Paul. I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. Let's get this show started. Well, welcome to another episode. Um, we've got a, a great talent with us today. Uh, Mark, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself? And uh, Hey, well, I'm, I'm Mark Guggenheim. Uh, I'm a writer, producer, director. Uh, I, I like to say my brand is Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and yeah, it's great to be, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Mark. Absolutely. We're honored to have you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, oh. what, what am I going to talk about? Well, let's see. Well, you know, it's funny. I... It, it's weird because in 2020, before COVID, I made this New Year's resolution that I was going to get back into creator-owned comics. I had done some um, in previous years, but, you know, sort of got distracted and busy with other things. And I was like, oh, I really, I really want to make a big push into creator-owned comics. And um, then the pandemic hit. And suddenly I had all the time in the world because television and film production was shut down. And uh, mm. I actually was like the only New Year's resolution uh, I've ever managed to keep because I managed to <laughs> suddenly have all this unexpected time. So, um, and then completely unplanned, uh, almost all the projects that I did during that period have come out in the last three to four months. Um, so uh, I've got, in no particular order, um, Last Flight Out with Dark Horse, Fragmentation with Dark Horse, um, Too Dead to Die with Image, and uh, a new series that dropped just a couple of weeks ago on February 15, uh, Torrent, um, also with Image. So busy, busy, busy. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of flooding the market with my own stuff. I feel like I'm my own competition right now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for the course. Like, no way, like, buy yeah, this book. No way, buy this book. Yeah, I don't plan yeah, things right. out particularly well. Um, but uh, I'm really lucky. Like, I've, I've been very fortunate. Like, you know, I'm doing, uh, you know, I did, I did Last Flight Out with, um, with Edward Fer Eduardo Ferragato, uh, I did Fragmentation with Benny LaBelle, Too Dead to Die with Howard Chaikin, and Torrent with Justin Greenwood. So I'm really very fortunate that I've had a chance to work with just top-notch, great artists all the way around. And um, and then also, again, completely unplanned, I, I started writing comic books again, like, you know, work for hire comic books again. So I've been doing uh, a, a lot of things in the Star Wars uh, space, which has been a dream come true for me because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, I am also going to be doing a five issue miniseries, uh, set in shortly after the events of Star Trek, the motion picture for IDW. Um, and right before this, I was doing revisions on the second issue of a miniseries that I'm doing for Marvel. That's not Star Wars related. Um, so a lot of comic book stuff, um, and then some TV and film stuff too, but, uh, I've been, I've been keeping busy. Man, we, uh, Shane and I, before uh, you joined us, we were talking about Torrent yeah and holy moly what a great first issue like yeah I, I was holding it up there with like <clears throat> well i felt like uh, so um uh invincible is mm. where i was holding it up there with That's, in terms uh, of I'll like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean in terms of like this great like character building right off the bat you totally were getting everybody and and then 
a friggin like right hook that you just don't see coming mm-hmm. and i don't want to give anything away for the, for our viewers but uh but holy moly what a great first issue oh, we, we, thank you very we really much yeah. oh, i really yeah. really appreciate that i have to say it's getting a phenomenal response um it's probably like the best some of the best reviews i've gotten in comic books um and i've been doing this a while so uh it's really just very very gratifying and really really nice so yeah. thank you yeah i mean i I super, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, one of the things that came to my mind when I was looking looking at it was uh, honestly Kickass. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of, there's yep. some some stuff in there that kind of uh, felt a little bit like that. But um, yep. you know, to Ben's point, yeah, there, there's this kind of great you know buildup that you do, and boy, there's a, a real gut punch um, towards the end. I, I don't want to give anything away either, Thank but you. what you know, just fantastic storytelling and and character development. Just uh, yeah, I can't rave enough about it. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. We're having a blast doing it. It's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, our goal with it is to really sort of surprise people with every issue. I think, you know, the, the way issue two ends is, is not what anyone is expecting. Um, mm. there, there's a bigger surprise at the end of issue two than there was even at the end of issue one. So, wow. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, what, what are, you know, we're, we're, we're not like, we're not wasting time. Uh, the, the story moves incredibly fast. This is the opposite of decompression. This is this is like old school compression, um, where the the moves that happen in each individual issue are are really really big, and and that's you know that that was very much by design because we we want to sort of tell sort of a Bronze Age kind of story with mm. you know twenty first century I don't know what age of comics we're in platinum um, you know <laughs> wh- whatever age of comics we're in like we wanted to use like modern day storytelling techniques to tell. Right. A, a bronze age kind of story um and uh but but maintain that level of propulsion that you would get in those bronze age comics where you know you yeah. can believe how much work uh you know has gone into each individual and how much story is being pushed and uh we, we like that that breakneck you know almost reckless pace well i i really you know appreciate that as far as a reader but also you know some of the folks we've talked to uh, over the last uh, year or so have like talked about the the issues the the problems of of trying to get people to continue to read issue to issue you know what yes. i mean they buy issue one or they wait yep. for the mm. trade paperback whatever yep. but something like this this kind of storytelling i feel like helps keep the reader like i know i finished it and i was like okay shit where's issue two you oh, know? Cool. Um, cool. so that keeps the, the people coming back um do you feel like was that part of the thought process or, or is it just, it just kind of came organic? I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. I wish, um, I, (laughs) I wish I had that, that those sort of commercial instincts. Um, I, I wish I knew how to like know how to build an audience and get them to come back for more. I, I just don't, I don't, that's not a club I have in my bag. Um, I just, fundamentally I like, I just, I write stuff that I think works for me and hope that it will work for other readers, but I'm not particularly good about, um, you know, gaming the system. Um, I wish, I wish I was, I wish I was a lot more commercial minded. I I bet my agents wish uh, I was a lot more commercial minded also. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're kind of piggybacking onto that. I, you know, do you, when you were writing this, did you, did it cross your mind at all as far as, well, we don't know if we're going to end up doing multiple episode issues. Um, you know, do we, 
just are we just going to go forward and, and assume that we're going to tell you know ten issues or however many you have in your head? Um, and I think the reason I ask that is because I ha often have the feeling when kind of these smaller indie artists that we talk to, uh, you know, they talk about the struggle it is just to get that first issue out, and they don't even know if they're going to get funded for the second one. It's almost like they kind of have to tell a complete story in the first issue and hope that they get enough to do the second one. You know what I mean? That's yeah, I think, you know, I, that wasn't the case uh, with us. We, we knew, you know, we knew that we were going to go past issue one. I, I think, you know, I'm so trained at this point to sort of think of a first issue the way I think of the first episode of a TV show, but mm -hmm. that it's sort of its own pilot, that even if it ends on a cliffhanger, very much the same way Torrent Number 1 does, it's mm -hmm. a cliffhanger that feels like it comes after a complete meal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so that's just you know, unfortunately, like how I, um, you know, that, that's sort of how I just instinctively process these stories at this point. Um, and I think there's something very, you know, there's a certain art, a special kind of art form to writing a first issue and writing a last issue. Uh, unfortunately, I've had a chance to read, I mean, write a lot of last issues uh, mm -hmm. in the course of my comic book career. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, oh, did you have another one, Shane? No, no, no. I was just going to say, I think this, I mean, this, for, I think for our viewers, you know, a lot of, I think people that watch this show are people that are, you know, just getting ready to start their own career. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, great information that you're giving to them as far as just, you know, write with the intention that it's going to keep going. Um, and yeah. I, I, I absolutely love the idea of ending on a cliffhanger. That's, that, you know, it keeps you coming back for more. It does. Yeah. It does. And I, you know, I also like, I always, I still like the idea of writing at sort of a reckless, you know, what I call a reckless pace, you know, because I think that's, again, I, that's something I look, I basically write for, I write for the audience that I am. Like, mm -hmm. I, I basically write the kind of things I think I would enjoy in a comic book, you know, because I've been reading comic books my whole life. And, you know, maybe I'm not completely representative of the marketplace, but I, you know, I don't think I'm, you know, too much of an outlier either. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of yeah. figure like, well, if, if I like it, if this is the type of comic book that would keep me coming back for more, uh, there'll be some other people, um, you know, that that uh, is true for as well. And, uh, and again, saying that uh, that's definitely seems to be the case with Warren, which is great. It's just it's very, very nice. I've worked on plenty of comic books where it just like landed, you know, with a thud. <laughs> um, that, that's not the case here, which is really, really nice. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> well, that brings me to my, my next question, though, regarding... Um, you know, writing because we're all writing for comics and stuff. Um, the I saw that you had started uh, in comics as an intern, you know, at Marvel yeah. back in '90 or so. Later on, you know, the, the years as a lawyer and then getting into television, um, and it was some legal stuff that you wrote about for television. Yep. Was the intent, <laughs> like when you were writing for television, the intent to eventually get into writing comics and comic related media, or were, were you just like, I'm just excited to write. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, the comic stuff came about and you're. No, if anything left to my own devices, I would have written comics first. Um, yeah. You know, th that's what I was, I was more passionate about. The thing was that I always say it's, it sounds very paradoxical, but it's easier to break into Hollywood than it is to break into comics as a writer. Really? Because with Hollywood, there's television staffing season, there's workshops, there's agents and managers and people who can get you gigs and get you read. There's none of that in comic books. You know, it, mm. it's much easier for an artist because, you know, artists, 
you, you know, there's portfolio reviews at conventions. You know, you, you're not asking someone to read anything. It's just pulled up the right. page, right? With, with, you know, there's no on-ramps for conflict writers. Um, mm. So, it, it, ironically, it, it was just easier to write television. And Perfect. once I was writing television, uh, I, I always give credit to Kevin Smith and Joe Straczynski for my conflict writing career because those guys were the they they were the pioneers they were the people from hollywood who broke the doors open in comics for mm. people such as myself and um you uh, know like yeah. i was writing on law and order when i broke in at marvel i i like to say i actually had to break into complex twice because <laughs> about a year yeah it was about yeah it was a year before i got uh my first gig at marvel i had written two issues of um of Aquaman. And uh these two issues so set the world on fire <laughs> that no one ever called. Um <laughs> uh, Kurt Music said something very nice in a news around the message board. And uh I will say Portsack Fisher Show, uh who's you know become a very good friend, um uh he was an editor at Vertigo and he reached out to me. Um but no one else did. It was like literally like, you know, the comics came out and no one cared. Um, such to such an extent that a year later, breaking in at Marvel was it was as if those two issues of Aquaman never existed. In fact, I think the folks at Marvel were far more interested in my work on, on Law and Order than they uh, were on, on Aquaman. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I had to break into it twice because, you know, why should I? It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Earlier, Shane was like, well, why didn't he write for She-Hulk? It was an attorney show answer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's know, right there. Yeah. You know, um, well, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, yeah, I... You mean, why didn't I write for the, the show? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good I question. I mean, it seems like a perfect fit. It yeah. does, actually. Legal background, right? Yeah. Kevin, give me a call, man. <laughs> <laughs> you a daredevil now. Jeez, right. right? There you go. Yeah. What do I got to do? You got the legal chops. You got the superhero chops. Yeah. You got you got it all. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just waiting for the phone to ring. That's right. We'll, we'll be your hype man for you. Okay, feel yeah. free. Please, I'll, I'll get I'll put you in for a piece of it. Nice. Just a walk on role where you know Daredevil knocks us out with it. You know. Yeah, that's good. It's another hallway scene. Ah, oh, another hallway scene. Pain in my soul. I know. Oh, so good, man. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, speaking. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Shane. No, no, good. Obviously, speaking of, uh, of film and stuff, um, friggin', uh, we saw that uh, two, uh, sorry, Two Dead to Die already picked up yeah. uh, for, for a film with Universal. Congrats on that. Thank uh, can you. Can you tell Thank us more you. about that, yes. that process to that? Because it seems that, in my mind, I mean, as, a, as an outsider, it seemed like a quick, you know, book comes out, it gets picked up. But was that it, something that it was worked actually, from the beginning? It was actually even quicker, quicker than you realized because oh. that, the <laughs> wow. news came out just the other week. Um, yeah. On that day, just to show you how late the news was, on that day, I just happened to turn in my third draft of the screenplay. So oh, this is actually wow. been for a while. And the way it happened was, yeah, we set it up before the graphic novel even came out. Um, and what happened was um, I had written uh, an adaptation of Rob Liefeld's Profit uh, for uh, Jeff Robinoff's company, Studio 8. And there was a, a producer there named Guy Danella, who um, I worked with. And then Guy went over to 87 North, which is David Leach's company. They did Violent Night mm. and Bullet Train. Um, and Guy reached out to me and said, he sent me a comic book. And he said, um, 
you know, would you take a look at this and let me know if you have any interest in adapting it as a movie? And I read it and I thought it was good. Um, but I was like, oh, wait a second. This Two Dits Die in 87 North and their brand, that's a, that's a really good fit. Maybe Guy would be interested in, in reading it. And Guy did. Uh, and he dug it and, and was just incredibly instrumental in, you know, getting it going. We actually have a, an A-list actor who's like the perfect uh, bit of casting that I can't talk about. Um, but <laughs> like, that's all thanks to Guy. Uh, Guy Guy's been uh, you're just an incredible, you know, champion of this project from day one. But yeah, we actually had it set up at Universal before the graphic novel even came out. Um, oh so my um, I, I, wow. I owe one more pass, I think, on the script before it can go to the studio. But uh, it's uh, it feels really good. It's a lot of fun, you know, because it really does fit with 87 North's brand, which is you know, incredible, like incredible action, but like, you know, uh, humor and, um, you know, a real point of view. Um, David yeah. Lynch directed, for example, Deadpool 2. So it gives you a little bit of a sense of, <laughs> of what that, that company is all about. So, yeah, it's been a great experience and, uh, and a lot of fun. It's, uh, you know, that, that I'm really, really excited about. I mean, Bullet Train and Violent. I loved both those. Violent Night. I loved, I loved Violent Night. Like so love, love, love. <laughs> just made me so happy. Um, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I'm. I'm really. Uh, yeah, I'm psyched. Like we. We. And and just to be clear, like I, I never do any comic book property with the intention of turning it into anything. Um, it's <clears> always <throat> nice. You know, that's that's always great. But I feel like. First of all, I as a writer can feel if I'm like trying to work backwards from a screenplay, mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like the readers can sense it too. On some level, mm -hmm. they, they feel like you're just turning that film pitch into a comic book, mm -hmm. um, and yeah. like I, you know, I, I don't like again. I, I write for the version of myself that's a consumer, and um, I wouldn't, you know, I don't read any comic books that I feel are like just retrofitted or retro reverse engineered uh tv and and film pitches um so yeah. i try to avoid that as well um you know and and the funny thing is is that with two dead to die this is the very first time i'm adapting my own material um oh. so after all these years of adapting other people's material and and basically saying like you know the whatever it's a tv show or a movie it can't be 100 percent faithful to the source material because it's a different medium and you've got to change things mm. to take advantage right. of the new medium and to avoid the things that don't work from the old medium i'm mm. now like oh well okay hoisted on my own petard i'm gonna have to uh <laughs> see if i can walk my own talk uh so it's it's been a an interesting humbling experience um but but a lot of fun as well it's kind of like you're probably looking at, you know, I, I, as writers look at your work as like your children, you're looking like, oh, I got to chop this one up and create something else out of it. Well, and actually the funny thing is like the first draft of, uh, of the screenplay was, was incredibly faithful to the graphic novel. Um, mm. And honestly, like didn't work for that reason. Like, mm, again, uh. it, you know, just like the thing I've been saying all these years, like, you know, we, I know we as comic book fans love like, fit, you know, comic book faithful or comic book, you know, fidelity. But the truth is, they're, they're different mediums. They're different art forms. They require different things narratively. Yeah. And, um, you know, unless you sort of accept that and embrace it, you're, you're going to end up with something that doesn't 
you know, that doesn't work fundamentally for whatever, for whatever reason. So, um, you know, it's just happens to be true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a, a an interview with Kirkman talking about The Walking Dead and, you know, they asked him, you know, about the changes that they made, you know, obviously from the book to the to the show. And his comment was, well, you know, why would I want to do the exact same thing? You know what's coming then. There's no surprises. I wanted to yeah. change things up, for, you know, maybe things I had ideas for in the book that I didn't do. And now I get to do it differently for the show. Absolutely. And just even spoiler alert, you know, just the idea that you know, that, that if you are, you know, that if you die, you reanimate, um, you know, that's, that's huge. Like that is a game changing yeah. idea that, that came at the end of season one of, of Walking Dead again, spoiler alert, <clears throat> but very, very different from the comic right. and, you know, fundamentally changes the whole thing. I thought it was a really good change, you know, mm-hmm. um, and obviously Robert must have been on board with it because, you know, that's what they ended up doing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about, um, you know, it seems like you, you have all these different projects that you're working on kind of simultaneously. How do you how do you keep all that, um, you know, juggling at the same time and, and keep, uh, you know, everything at the same quality level, essentially, that you want it to be? Well, Don't that's actually great accidentally write Han Solo into Simon Cross. And- I, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Um, no, you know what it is? I... It really goes back to my days as a lawyer, um, you know, because despite what, you know, television would have you believe, and I'm as guilty of contributing to this misapprehension <laughs> as anyone, but despite what television has you believe, lawyers don't handle one case at a time. Um, mm. You know, like I, when I was a litigator, I handled probably like 15 cases at one time with five of the 15 wow. being like active at any given moment in time. So I'm very used to juggling different things, moving from one thing to the other and keeping the quality up because, you know, the stakes in law are a lot higher than in Hollywood or comics. You know, like if I turn right. in a bad script, the only person who suffers is me. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the you know, you, you screw up as a lawyer and, you know, it's, it's a malpractice suit waiting to happen. So yeah, very, yeah. very high standards, very, very high stakes. Um, and that just sort of was good training um, for mm. how to handle multiple things and recognize when different things need to get done. And I kind of like organized my writing day the same way I organized my day as a, uh, you know, as, as a litigator, which is I would start with the most cognitive intensive stuff early. Cause I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a morning person, but I, I'm the freshest in the morning, like most people. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, first drafts of things happen in the morning rewrites Mm. and you know research and stuff that happens at the end of the day so i'm you know i'm making sure that by scheduling my workload i'm taking advantage of the best times of the day to do the right type of thing um and that's one of the ways i you know keep the quality up and you know and the other thing is you know sort of just recognizing that there's always there's always more time than you think to do everything. And there's no, there's no benefit to rushing and there's no benefit to shitting it out. Um, you know, it's, you, you, you know, you, you take that extra day, you take, you know, that, that extra hour, um, and you'll, you'll find the time, you know, on the back end somewhere. That's awesome. Very good. I had a follow-up to that then about yeah. the, you, you, at the beginning of this, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> how the legal shows make us, you know, think one way when it's, you know, actually another way. 
of all the legal shows, do you watch legal television at all? And, and if so, what's been the most realistic one that, that you've mm. seen? Mm. Well, it's funny. I used to. I used to watch. First of all, there used to be more legal shows on the air. There was a ton. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, in terms of most realistic, She-Hulk, obviously. The most realistic. That's a great. I, you know, I'm a little biased because I worked on this show, but I, I, I do have to say, uh, David Kelly's The Practice. Yeah. Did did a really, especially in the early seasons, um, it, it did a really great job of conveying a lot of the hustle and bustle of being a litigator. Um, a lot of like. You know, I actually, when I was practicing, I was practicing in Boston where the show was set. So, like, just the, the like, the the way motion practice works, um, you know, where it's sort of like a little bit of a cattle call and, you know, it's like, you know, fast food. You're, you're moving through it very, very fast. It, David really captured that, uh, I thought, extremely well. Um, that, that, yeah, I feel like that's the most realistic uh, law show, it, you know. Yeah. Certain aspects. I thought you were going to of... say Eli Stone, but oh gosh, no! Oh gosh, um, no! Eli was Eli was the only the only thing about Eli that was real was the the corporate when he was just like the corporate drudgery um, that he escaped in the pilot. Um, that yeah. that was very real. That was very autobiographical. Um, but uh, yeah, no, nothing nothing particularly realistic about Eli. Yeah. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no! I, I like. I actually, I I really enjoyed that show too. Thank but you. that's why I had to bring that one up. Um, you know, Shane and I were uh, when we were talking before this started too. We noticed that um, your wife had worked on Agent Carter. Yes, and uh, you, you know, obviously had you know uh, co-developer and showrunner for you know the Arrowverse over on uh, for DC. Was there any, you know, uh, rivalry at home with uh, different comic companies? <laughs> no, no. People, <laughs> it's funny, no. people like to definitely a friend of ours who works at the Hollywood Reporter did a Valentine's Day piece, like sort of about, you know, the fact that we work on, on opposite sides of the street. But you have to understand before Arrow, I had been writing for Marvel for, you know, like, like almost 10 years. Yeah. So like, I was like, wait a second, like, you know, I, I I feel like I've been very, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, very working both sides of the street with both DC <laughs> and Marvel. Um, so uh, so it was like it was this it was this uh, rivalry that existed really for the purposes of of good headlines. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I will say that we there was one year where we were both competing for the same writer. That that was. Uh, uh, that was very uh yeah lindsay allen uh who's incredibly talented nice. we both we both worked with uh over the years um it, you know there was we were both you know competing for her and uh tara won tara got her um <laughs> nice but uh that was that was uh that was frustrating <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny well I, yeah i mean obviously you know the, the rivalry between uh, Marvel and DC, we're not talking about different political uh, <laughs> groups. We're talking yeah. about the, the same, you know, <laughs> geek culture. So it's, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a much more fun rivalry. I agree. Sure. I agree. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, I know, like, you know, there is like a real, like, as much as there's a rivalry between DC and Marvel, like on the stands, um, 
the, the truth of the matter is like everyone I know, like they all, you know, hang out together and they like mm-hmm. each other and, you know, yeah. like, um, and they're fans of the, each other's work, you know, and that's what's yeah. really nice about the comic book community. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I, um, Sticking with the the television stuff, if you don't mind, we keep going, Shane. Please, here. yeah, uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sticking with the television stuff, um, uh, I have to admit, I, I was a huge Arrowverse fan, but I have to admit, when it first came out and it was coming out on the CW, mm-hmm. I was very leery at first. I was like, oh my gosh, the CW! I don't know if that's like <laughs> how that's it's going to turn out. That's because they didn't market it the way we wanted to market it. We wanted to market mm-hmm. it from the writers of Green Lantern. Yeah, no, mm, that would not have been good. But that was our joke. Our, yeah, our, that would not have been, that, that wouldn't have worked. That was our joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh man! Sorry, no, I, I feel like, like I cut into your question. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I don't know because I thought I was worried. You know, CW, but it was it was actually dark and gritty, and and you know, and the, the fight scenes were great, and all that. It was it was. Uh, it blew me away for like what again for what like a net, it was almost net, you know networkish television could do for for a superhero show. Um, when you were coming into that, was that difficult to get CW to agree to to all the stuff you guys wanted to do with Arrow? No, because based on like their track record before, I, I didn't know if you know if they would. You know, it's it's uh, funny. I think it, it's a little bit like. Um... <laughs> First of all, I will tell you, like CW, um, you know, Mark Pedowitz, who was the president of the CW um, the whole time we were doing the Arrowverse, um, Greg and I had worked with him back when he was the head of ABC Studios. We, we did Eli Stone for him. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we have a shorthand with Mark and, and Mark has always been incredibly supportive. His team was incredibly supportive. But it, 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 we sort of came into Arrow as a little bit like... Um, Remember the Frank, this is a deep cut, but like, remember the Frank Miller Ronin comic? Yes. The house ads said, if you intend to die, you can do anything. And it was a little bit like, if you don't like give a fuck, um, Mm. you can do anything. And what we didn't give a fuck about was, was whether or not the show got put on the air because Mm. we were coming off of Green Lantern. It had been quite frankly, a horrible experience for us. Um, mm. we, we lost all control over it um, and we got embarrassed as a result of it. So mm. the whole idea of doing, we almost didn't do Arrow at all, period, full stop. You know, um, the only Dang. way we agreed to do Arrow is if we said, okay, we're going to do this outside of the normal process. We're going to have two meetings. We're going to meet with the studio and we're going to meet with the network. In both meetings, you will hear what the entire show is. Um, we will not do a story area. We will not do an outline. You will not put an article in variety about this. No one is going to know we're doing this. Well, at, at the end of, you know, three or so weeks, you will get a script. And at that point you can decide whether or not you're making the show. Um, so it was a very, but, but again, like we, we sort of created this sort of circumstance for ourselves because it was sort of the only way off of the Green Lantern experience that we would have actually done another DC character, much less another DC character with green in the name. I mean, geez, like how, <laughs> right. how, like, oh my gosh. how, how masochistic <laughs> do we have to be? Right. Um, so, and, and, and again, to, you know, to, you know, Warner Brothers and the CW's credit, they, they were on board with that. Um, 
you know, and, and I, you know, like I said, we we worked with them. Greg had a long relationship with Peter Roth, the head of, you know, uh, Warner Brothers Television, and we had had a long relationship with Mark Pedowitz, uh, head of CW, and they they were foolish enough to trust us. <laughs> well, I'm glad they did because it panned out, man. It was yeah, that worked it out sure okay. did. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I'm glad okay. they did. Yeah, yeah. That was, green yeah. that green worked out okay. That worked out okay. <laughs> yeah. that worked. And I'll tell you, had we let had we got the chance to do the Green Lantern, we wanted to. That would have worked out well too. Um, nice. I always tell yeah. people a very very simple Google search will surface our first draft, and uh-huh. it's very much a first draft. I mean, I'm not going to say it's amazing. But it shows you what we had in mind for wow. this property. Um, suffice it to say, CG's suits were not in that yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's. Well, well, oh, go ahead. No. no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because in, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of, I'm, I'm sure you've heard all the stories of Kevin Smith uh, sharing his uh, Superman yep. script writing uh, endeavors <laughs> it, it's you know it, it's challenging because also these are these are big movies you know um, yeah. i you know like i i kind of uh you know when it, it, the original movie uh was written by me greg and michael green and greg mm-hmm. was going to direct it and um basically i'm like just warner brothers woke up one day and said wait a second we're going to give a $200 million movie to three TV writers. Like mm. forget about that. And it's like, of course they're not going to, we, we, we felt like we were robbing a bank. Um, yeah. so we couldn't believe we were getting as far as we got. Um, wow. you know, but, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And I, 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 in, I think the years have been kinder to green lantern than I've been. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think there are people who have sort of discovered it, you know, um, on other platforms and, you know, kind of like it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so like, God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know my, my kid, uh, loves Ryan Reynolds. And so when, you know, she watched it, she, you know, loved it too. So, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is an audience, you know, there's well, definitely an yeah. audience, which, you know, is, yeah. is always great. Like, you know, yeah. and, and even, you know, we always said when we were working on arrow, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. So even when someone hates mm. something, I still, I'm like, okay, well, we, we still got an emotional response out of you. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's something that's got to count for something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, um, I, there, well, I'm kind of a horror movie fan and uh, there's a indie film that just came out recently called Skinnamarink. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard about I that. Have. And, uh, you know, that film is just like you said, there's people all the way from one side to the other side, yeah. completely hate it and absolutely love it. And, uh, and I've really found anybody that was like, no, it was okay. There's yeah. it's extremes. And, and I think that extreme has got, that's what has people talking about it. Um, absolutely. It comes up in conversation. Yeah. Yeah, take a big swing. And, and also, you know, it, movies, especially, but even TV shows too, they age differently. You know, mm. um, they, they, you know, with time, some movies uh, appear much better. And other movies <clears throat> appear much worse. Um, yeah. And, you know, it is very much a function of, you know, uh, uh, of just where the audience is mm-hmm. in their lives and in their moment in time for when they take in the content. So, 100%. You know, that's, you know, that you just sort of put it out there. And like I said, I, I would always rather some emotional response than, than just the bland, yeah, it's okay. 
Yeah. 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 Exactly. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Shane, well, oh, did I you mean, want to ask him about Chaikin? I know you were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Real yeah. quick. Yeah. So Chaikin. Um, so, you know, I, I've been reading, uh, I think you and I are actually kind of similar in age. Um, I, when I was uh, reading books in the 80s, um, I was actually a big Chaikin fan. And I, I read American Flag and, and his work on Shadow. And um, so I, you know, I love his, his art style. It's just, oh, me too. I, I love it. Me um, too. So just curious how you got connected with him. Oh, good question. Uh, well, well, I started out as a fan. Um, you know, okay. uh, really from Star Wars, uh, you know, because he did the original, you know, issues of Star Wars, um, yeah. and then uh, then the Shadow and American Flag. Uh, mm -hmm. He did a, a great run on the Shadow uh, for DC Comics, mm -hmm. um, and and then Blackhawk. I mean, like I just like mm -hmm. you know, huge, huge, huge Dominic Fortune. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you name it. Um, so back. This is actually when I was working on the first season, uh, yeah, the first season of Eli Stone. Uh, I was writing my my first book for Marvel that was like an ongoing was Blade, and oh, yeah, um, yeah. I worked with Howard on Blade. And uh, then wait, I forget which which came first. Was it Blade? We did, also <laughs> did six issues of Wolverine together, and I can't. I think uh, I think it was Wolverine that came first, and then Blade, but I I don't remember. At any rate, okay. uh, Howard's <laughs> since become a very good friend, and um, I really enjoyed working with him. And like I said, during the pandemic, I started writing comics. And for what became Two Dead to Die was just this idea that I had burning in my notebook for a number of years. And it was one of the first, you know, pandemic comics that I wrote. And when I write, I, you know, I write full script and I, you know, so it's like page one, panel one, this is happening, mm -hmm. this is what's being said. And I... I picture some version of the art in my head. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like about 10 pages in when I realized, oh, the art I'm seeing in my head is happening. Um, and so I got to like, right. you know, page 20 or something. And I emailed him and just said, hey, uh, do you have any interest in, you know, reading something? I, you know, I basically accidentally wrote it for you. Um, and he checked it out and, uh, he was in immediately. Um, wow. and, uh, it was great. We, you know, cause like I said, I, I, I love Howard personally. I, I love working with him professionally. Um, you know, he's, you know, he, and he's, he's a legend. He's, you know, an iconic, yeah. le you know, legendary mm -hmm. artist. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fun to work with someone who's in, you know, uh, a future, a future Eisner Hall of Famer, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and this in particular, like I said, like I think the reason I was seeing Howard's art in my head was this is just so perfect for him. Um, you know, you know, secret agents and you know, international locales and beautiful women, like you know, this, mm -hmm. this is Howard's jam. Um, yeah. So it's it's been great. Like it's it's been a really fun, fun, fun collaboration. Um, so I'm, I'm always looking for the next opportunity with Howard. That's awesome. That's so, yeah, that's so cool. When you, when you write something, then it comes, oh, sorry. When it comes together, I'm sure, you know, if you, you know, write a piece that's specifically for television or for films, if you have an, uh, an actor in mind that you've kind of written it for and, and it all comes together, it, it just makes the whole piece better. I'm sure it does. I will say I'm not one of those writers who writes with a actor in mind. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, part of it is my, what I call my actor vocabulary is actually pretty bad. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't have like that perfect, like, you know, recollection of every actor out there. Mm. Casting is just not, uh, not one of my strong suits. Yeah. So, um, gotcha. I they have casting agents for you. That, yeah, pretty much, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's the thing, like you, you want to, like, I really rely 
more than other writers on the casting directors I work with because <clears throat> I really need them not just to like suggest actors, but also to like kind of be a hedge on my taste. You know, there, there's times where, you know, I, I have not been right. Um, and I'm very <clears throat> cognizant of that. Um, there's nothing annoys me more in Hollywood than the people who are wrong and can't admit it. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm very happy to admit what I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I was, um, I was going to say, and it's very <clears throat> impressive. You went from being a, uh, a fan of Howard Jenkins on Star Wars comics to writing Star Wars comics <laughs> and getting to work with Howard. Yes. Did, did, did you envision yeah. that back in, you know, the, the kid who was reading these, Mar uh, the, you know, the old Marvel Star Wars comics and stuff like that? No, no. day This would be. <laughs> honestly, honestly, like, it's funny. On Friday, March 3rd, uh, will be my, that'll be my 23rd anniversary of coming to Los Angeles. And wow. And even after all those years, I really feel like I'm still living someone else's life that, that the real me wow. is still back in Boston practicing law. Um, wow. and that's kind of the only way I've been able to reconcile in my brain, the sheer insanity of getting the chance to, you know, work with someone like Howard or, you know, to be able to write for Jake Gyllenhaal or to, you know, I mean, I mean, all the amazing, crazy things I've, I've had the chance to do over the years. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really believe it, um, you know, to work with Marv Wolfman. I mean, like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's, it's all, it's, it's all insanity. And the only way I can make the insanity make sense is if, you know, really the real me is still toiling away back in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, 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 your body of work is just absolutely incredible. Oh, and, and like I said, at the beginning, this is just an absolute pleasure for us to, to have you on the show. So they can't thank you enough. Oh, thanks yeah, so much thanks for having so me. It was a lot of fun guys. Really great questions. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. This was another fantastic episode. Please remember to hit that like, subscribe, and notification bell so we can keep bringing you content like this. And we'll see you on the next one.